I know you're wondering, you're wondering why you all had to stand, why I got to sit. Well, I have to stand this whole time and you get to sit. So we'll just trade places. How about that? In 2016, of course, you should well know. And thank you, Charles, for directing our minds and our hearts to be strong and courageous, to to have a theme song. I really like that. Uh, To be reminded of the promise that God gave Joshua, to be reminded of the promise that God still gives to us. We are uh, living in a world where it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to be uh, fearful. And we have many reasons to do so, except if God is with us. If God is with us, then we do not need to be afraid, for he is with us wherever we go. I'm really excited because today we start a new series called The Struggle. And um, we are going to talk about... Some of our struggles, you may say this could be a long series because I know I have lots of struggles and there's probably lots of struggles here collectively that we would ever have time to get to. I've been passing on 235 each day as I drive back and forth to work these giant signs that say we're closing the exit. We're closing the exit from uh, southbound 235 to westbound Kellogg. And uh, that's a pretty important part of my journey. I'm going to be detoured and delayed uh, for a long time. I'm not looking forward to it. That's a struggle. Uh, I've heard some scientists say that they estimate the sun has about five, six billion years of light left in it. So according to my calculations, they're going to have to finish Kellogg in the dark. Um, We may never, never get her done. Lots of reasons to be afraid. This morning, as I put my contact into my right eye, I had something happen that had never happened before in my life, and I pray never happens again. I pop it in there. I've been doing contacts forever. I do it without thinking, but I popped it in, and there was just immediate pain, like needles in my eye. I thought, oh man, something's in my contact. But I look in my eye and there's no contact lens. It somehow it's, it's, it has slipped up to the top of my eyeball. And so I'm walking around my bathroom with like a one-eyed cyclops yelling for Christy, hey, can you, can you see anything in here? And she's ever sympathetic, you know, kind of laughing. And I guess it was a good day to preach about struggles, huh? So we all got struggles, okay? But there are people, uh, just read a Barna report that that increased that the number of of unchurched Americans jumped from 35% of adults to 45%. There are people this morning that have given up on God and have no interest. They didn't. They didn't load the kids in the car, and thank you to those of you who did that. I know that's a struggle. If you almost lost your religion getting here, I get it. There are, there are people who, who have just given up. Something big happened in their life. And they said, God, where were you? Not perceiving him to be there, they gave up on him. What what I'm talking about in this brief series is the struggle that people of faith have. 
I'm not talking about struggles that are common to all of us, whether it's traffic or work stress or, or struggles in our families. We, we all have those, whether we're believers or not. That, you know, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. These struggles are the kind that we really work against as people of faith, as people who have chosen to set their heart and their treasure and their lives into eternal hands. Tough sometimes. Lots of reasons to just give up and throw in the towel. And hopefully this, this series will address some of those things. I don't know if you've ever had a moment. It, it, it could be a big thing where, where just tragedy strikes like a bolt from the blue. And as it strikes and there is just an immediate shockwave of grief and doubt and despair. And maybe that's within the lives of people around you or just in your own life. I remember many years ago, one of our, one of our young teen ladies, she had a tragedy strike. A family member. A father with young children killed tragically. And she was really, really struggling with that. God, where were you in that? Maybe it's not immediate. Maybe it's very gradual. And you watch someone you love get sicker and sicker. And, and, and people pray and people encourage and people love. And the answers from the doctors don't get any better. And we say, God, where are you? Why did you bring us here? I said, I'd trust you. I'd believe you. I'd go with you all the way. And yet here I stand. And, and God, if I'm honest, you seem so silent. If you haven't felt like that. I want to introduce you to a Bible character who did. And if you did, you will very much sympathize with the journey of Mary and Martha. Turn to John, the book of John, chapter 11. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to start in verse 17. You see... Mary and Martha and Lazarus were as close as close could be to Jesus. They were good friends. They shared laugh and laughter and life together. They're sure they shared many meals together. There were lots of Jesus ministry that they knew each other well. Starting in verse 17, uh, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, John inserts this side note here. He says, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. What John is saying there, if you don't recognize, I, I walk about two miles every day. I can do that in under an hour. Thank you. Thank you for judging me. I know you're doing that. Okay. What I'm saying is I could have walked from Jerusalem to Bethany in under an hour. Jesus delayed 
by the time Jesus got to his good friend Lazarus, who had, had been given a message, the one whom you love is sick, he had gone from sick to dead, and he had been in the tomb four days. And Verse 19, many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. You see, Jesus wasn't there when he was sick. He wasn't there when they had the funeral. And he wasn't there as everyone else in the world came to comfort them and hug them and grieve with them. Don't you know, Mary and Martha had to wonder, where is Jesus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever been there? You ever been where Martha was? We were there, Jesus. We were with you. And when we needed you the most, where were you? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Where are you, Jesus? Where are you? What's the point of faith if in the moments of deepest need, the one whom you love the most seems so absent? Skip down to verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. You'll notice a theme here. While she falls down prostrate on the ground, she says the very same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the struggle of doubt. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, not because Lazarus had died, not because he had gone to a place where Jesus couldn't reach him anymore, But because they had had a struggle that many people of faith often do. Verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus understands. He really, really does. I know you don't think that he does. Uh, maybe there's some of you are sure, you're not even sure if he's there. Maybe some of you are here and you're really wrestling with God. You're not even sure he exists. And if he does, he surely doesn't care about my problems, large or small. 
Every person of faith comes to this moment where they have to, have to, have the question, is Jesus present? Is he powerful? And does he care? If you've been there, you can sympathize. Maybe you are there and you really know. If you haven't been there, then just mark down John 11. And when you have those moments, whether they're gradual or immediate, turn to John 11. I'm not going to finish that story because you know how it ends. I I want to just say to you that doubt is normal. Even for people of faith, every person like Jacob comes to a wrestling match. And not that we are any competition for God, but we just wrestle. Because, because his thoughts and his ways and his timing and his methods are so much higher than ours. We can relate to the story of a father of a demon-possessed boy. His boy, his pride and joy was a disgrace. He was embarrassed. He, he was possessed by a demon. The scripture says he would often just throw himself on the ground and convulse. I would think having a son like that, you wouldn't want to have many people over. You wouldn't be very likely to want to go to church. It was just a a difficult life, and it had been with him a long time. And when he meets Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, he records these words. But if... This verse 22, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father cried out, and I love this honesty and authenticity. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You've been there? You've been in a spot where you, you do believe, but you, you need his help and you need his strength and you need his patience to overcome the part of you that still doubts. It doesn't matter whether you're a perfect stranger to Jesus like the father, whether he was clo- the closest friends he had like Mary and Martha, whether even the disciples who watched him die and then who would see him be resurrected. Think about this. The resurrected Jesus. They got to witness that firsthand. They got to see Jesus in a totally new form. And in Matthew 28, the scriptures say simply this. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him and worshipped him. And you have to know that worship must have been heartfelt and sincere and, and absolutely just, a un, just an unveiling of their eyes to what they had not seen. But look what the rest of verse 17, they worshipped him, but some doubted. People who are close to Jesus struggled with doubt. People who are strangers to Jesus struggled with doubt. People who saw the resurrected Jesus struggled with doubt. Because doubt is simply a point of not understanding. And it's not God's prerogative to help you understand. 
It's our prerogative to trust him. And to trust him enough to do what he asks us to do. So I want to talk about this morning and hopefully help us understand doubt a little bit. First, doubt is planted by the enemy. Every plant, great or small, whether it's a, a rose bush, a, a live oak tree, a, or a weed in your, in your grass, it is, all starts with a single seed. The weed of unbelief starts with the seed of doubt. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, there's the the enemy there planting just a seed of doubt. Did he really say that? Now, he had just said it. He says to us, did God really say? You can't trust God. You can't believe what he says. You need to trust yourself instead. You need to trust your own heart. He says we need to question what God really says. My job, and think about what what my job to do every single week, twice a week, is to get up here and say, that's what he really said. Now, why do I have to do that? By the way, I have total job security. Because human beings often forget what he really said. I don't know what it is, if it's in our DNA or just why exactly we are prone to forgetting what he really said. But one way we can overcome doubt is to remind ourselves of what God really said. When Paul wrote that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, he wasn't stretching there. He was saying, when you open this book or you open the app on your phone or you open up the website or you get around in circles in your small group and you talk about the word of God, what you're doing there is pouring pesticide, insecticide, or not insecticide, pesticide, on those seeds of doubt. Because you are reminding yourself, you're reminding each other of what God really said. But those seeds of doubt are planted by the enemy. Number two, doubt focuses on fear. Fear is... The thing that most erodes faith. That's why Jesus said so many times, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I've heard it said by one count that in the entire Bible, there's 365 times where the scripture says, do not be afraid. It's kind of like God's daily vitamin C to tell you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whether it's personally or collectively, the thing that erodes faith more than anything has to do with fear. Don't let yourself become overwhelmed by fear. The story, the scripture that was read in Matthew 14, verse 28 through 31. Peter, Peter walked on water. To my knowledge, he is the only human being that ever did that. He walked on the water. 
A fisherman's calloused, dirty, smelly, sweaty feet touched the surface of the Galilee and did not go under. And I'm convinced he could have walked much farther than he did. But why didn't he walk much farther? Because when he got out of the boat, the scripture says, verse 30, he saw the wind and he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I always think, why? Jesus seems to be being pretty hard on him here. The very first time a human being walks on water, he takes a couple steps, gets scared by the storm, and he sinks. Maybe because Jesus had in mind that Jesus or that Peter would just keep on walking all the way across. Maybe Jesus had in mind much bigger plans for Peter than Peter did. And yet, because of his fear, because he was distracted by the wind and the waves, he became afraid. And a fear is what erodes our faith. Psalm 27, verses 13 through 14 Says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Don't let your eyes focus on fear. Focus in faith at what God is calling you to do. And always remember, He has bigger plans for you than you do. He has bigger dreams and bigger visions. But you won't get there if you doubt, because doubt, the third point, limits our vision. You remember after the resurrection, I told the story of the disciples worshiping him on the mountain, but some doubted. There was a story in Luke about them walking on the road to Emmaus. And, and Luke writes these words as they were talking about these things, about all that had happened the past few days. Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you do doubts arise in your hearts? Jesus was with them. The resurrected Jesus was walking with them. And he, though they saw him, they didn't see him. Because they were so Overwhelmed, overcome, drowning in doubt. Doubt will keep us from seeing what God needs us to see. Though he was with them, their doubt kept them from seeing him. I don't know, that may happen in churches today. Like he's with us, but, but we can't see him because we're all focused on all the reasons to be afraid, all the reasons to doubt, wondering where he is. He's with us. He promised he'd be with us to the very end of the age. Number four, doubt keeps us from daring greatly. Whether it was taking the city of Jericho by marching around it seven times, whether it was telling Gideon that 32,000 men were too many fighting men when they were going up against an army of 135,000, whether it was, it was him telling Jonah to go preach to a foreign city of unbelievers, of God's enemies, God always 
has bigger dreams than we do. If Here's a good way to know if God's given you a dream or if God's given you something to go after. If it's big enough that it scares you, good. Because that's the kind of world that God works in. He needs us to see so much bigger that, 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 there, that it is impossible for us to do it ourselves. That we need His help, we need His strength, we need Him to do it. We've got to not just be able to dream, but we also have to be able to take hold of it and to have the courage to go after it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Isn't that weird that faith is not just believing in God, it's knowing that God believes in you. He brought, Jesus brought forth his kingdom. He said the gates of hell will not overtake it. And he put it into the hands of 12, 11, uneducated, ordinary, common men to, to spread it all over the world, Judea. Jerusalem to Judea to all the ends of the earth. That's not just saying that we have to believe in God. It's that God's given us the ability to go out into the world and share the good news of his son. Not because of who we are, not because of our ability. But man, if we're going to take this city, if we're going to take this state, if we're going to if we're going to share the good news of Jesus all throughout the land, we have to be willing to know That God believes in us enough to put it in our hands and to go do it. Jesus could have stayed here on earth and just, you know, just said, well, I'll just establish the kingdom here. And just and I'll just I could you imagine a more perfect king? No, I could not. He would make every right decision. But no, he put it in the hands of human beings who make mistakes, who are flawed, who fall short over and over again. And yet in his infinite wisdom, he put the message of God's eternal love. And his free gift of grace to all mankind into our hands and our hearts. So don't give up. Don't forget his vision. I hope it's big enough to scare you. All right, what do you do when you doubt? First, you've got to remind yourself. The, re- the, the remedy for doubt is, is faith. And faith simply comes by Hearing the word of God by trusting the word of God, by believing that every single word in here, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, is God-breathed. The same God's breath that created the sun and the moon and the stars and all creation, everything that fills the land and the mountains and the canyons and crevices and all the rivers and the seas, everything that came into being by His breath. That's how powerful it is. And he used that same breath to inspire men to write down God's will. It's the truest, most impactful set of words you'll ever read. So read them and be reminded of not just who God is and who you are, but what God is doing. The Bible is God's reminder of the many reasons to trust him. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 Isaiah says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God 
and there is no one like me. John wrote that these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Second, have a little faith. Have a little faith, the the simple trusting belief in God. Faith, according to Hebrews 11, is the confidence that we hope for, the assurance of things that we cannot see. Pray like the Father. The Father in Mark 9, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Pray honestly. Ask Him for help. Tell Him you're struggling, and He will show Himself faithful and true. Uh, You do this little exercise, I'm sure, with your children, or have done it. Grace is about five, and sometimes she'll be on the bed, and I'll say, all right, hop down, it's time to go. You know, go to bed or go do this thing or we're going to go somewhere. And sometimes she'll stand up on the bed and she'll say, Daddy, catch me. Let me jump to you. And she'll just, I, I didn't have to hardly hold out my arms and she'll just jump. You know, it wasn't always that way, though. I remember the very first time she stepped on the edge of that bed. And with a quivering voice. Dad, can I jump to you? I said, well, sure, honey, come on. Now, I stood as close to her as I've ever stood. I mean, but from my hand to her hand was a gap of this small. But she stood there for minutes, and what her mind must have seemed hours, before she finally had the faith to leap from what she knew in to what she didn't know. Now, when I caught her that first time, and oh, that first time is very important that you catch her. (laughs) When I caught her that first time, don't you know that her trust in her father grew and grew in her heart to where now I can almost stand halfway across the room? And she knows, she knows her father will catch her. She never doubts. You gotta jump. You can't just keep standing on the edge of security. You gotta jump. You can't keep standing on the edge of your own knowledge and your own wisdom. You gotta jump. Into the hands of a father who's waiting for you. Second Chronicles sixteen nine says, The eyes of the Lord search throughout all the earth. Seeking those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Your father's walking all around going, just jump. Just trust me. He needs you to trust him. If you're struggling with doubt this morning, I want to encourage you to jump. Just take a little jump and little jumps turn into big jumps. First, finally, show mercy. Jude chapter 1 verse 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. Can I just ask a real, this is a big question here. And I need you to be honest. How many of you have ever, ever struggled with doubt? Now hold your hands up, keep them up there. Because this next part is what's really important. If you're still struggling with doubt this morning, I want you to keep your hand up. I want you to look around 
And everybody look around so we don't just pick on somebody. But I want to look around. Keep your hands up. You guys act like you can't hold your hands up very long. I know we're Church of Christ. We don't do that. But okay. Look around. Look at all the people who say, I have been there. I have struggled like Mary and Martha. I have struggled like a father of a demon-possessed boy. I have struggled like the apostles did. It is a common thing. Now, those of you, everybody can put your hands down. If you held up your hand, though, and you've come through that struggle, I want you to be willing to be patient and merciful and gracious to those who are struggling. Somebody pipes up in class and says, well, I don't know. You know, the worst thing for you to do is just jump all down their throat. The best thing you can do is just say, you know what? I've been there. I've had that story, too. Help them, be merciful to them, be kind to them, be be gentle with them. Realize they're just learning to jump and they're going to need encouragement to keep jumping. So show mercy to them. What did he say to Thomas? Jesus famously told that apostle who infamously known for doubt, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and believe. Jesus was very patient with his apostles. He was extra patient with Thomas and merciful. And we need to be the same way as well. We all come to a point of doubt in our life. And we can just wonder, is is the God thing real? Is he really there? Is the Bible real? Is Jesus is who he said he was? I believe we can trust it, and I believe we can trust him. But let me tell you, right now, your heart is going along, and it's beating, and you're alive, and you're here, but there's a day coming, one day, could be right out here in the foyer, could be as you're driving along the highway, could be as you go to sleep tonight. Someday, in a nursing home, in a hospital, at your own home, it's going to stop. And the moment your heart stops and you take your last... One millisecond into eternity, you will No. If everything that Jesus said was true, if everything that was written in that book was true, if what God proclaimed throughout all the ages is true, but one millisecond into eternity, it will be too late. So don't waste it. Don't waste the time. It slips away. If you're here this morning and you're not ready to step into eternity, you need to get ready because the time's coming. Put your trust in Him. Put your hope in Him. And know that when this stops, you won't. This morning, if you're not in Christ, come, come, so we can get you in Christ. And if you're in Christ, but whoa, you're struggling.
please, please let us help you. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Let us read scripture. Let us just hug you and say, brother, I know I've been there. Sister, I've been there too. If you need our help and our encouragement, if you're struggling with doubt, or if you're ready to put all doubts to to sleep and let Jesus take over your heart and your life, please come as together we stand and sing.